I've been given the privilege of introducing uh, this morning's speaker. Uh, he is listed on the timeline uh, about 1987, uh, coming here as our uh, youth pastor. After about an 18-month gap of there not being a youth pastor uh, here, and um, it had been led by uh, four fairly young people, two couples, uh, Norm and Lori Wheatley, and Paula and myself. Uh, we were <coughs> thrilled that a full-time youth pastor was coming. Now, when he came in, uh, actually, he probably interviewed in late 80, 1986, uh, his wife, April, uh, was due in a month or two, if I remember right. They came at the very beginning of uh, 1987, as I said before, um, with one child. Um, I lose it a little bit, but were there four when you left or only three? Four, all four were born here. Um, and they left uh, in 1996, 95, 1995, which if you do the math, you can tell that that individual still involved in ministry has just celebrated 25 years uh, of ministry uh, when he, after he left here. Um, so four children and now 13 grandchildren, I believe. So... Um, Another interesting, this piece of information, when there were about, I think, 19 names I saw uh, up on the screen of people that have gone into full-time ministry. I think Paul and I were driving back from Wisconsin last week. I think we counted at least 12 of those names being related to uh, our speaker's um, ministry here at Westchester, uh, kids going through uh, the youth group. So um, with that, like to introduce to you uh, our speaker this morning, uh, Pastor Doug Corlew from Summit Church in Alta, Iowa, and his wife uh, April here. Doug, come on up, and let me just pray for you as you speak. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for Doug and for April and for his ministry here at Westchester uh, years ago. We uh, also are just uh, thrilled that he is back. We are thrilled that you have blessed his ministry as he left here for the last 25 years to see great growth uh, at Summit E-Free up in Alta, Iowa. Uh, just bless uh, the time to follow, the words from him, the message. Uh, let it sink into our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Doug. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Paula, Dave, and everyone else, it's so good to be with you. April and I have been looking forward to this ever since we received the invitation, and it's so fun to see uh, so many familiar faces. And, you know, I was hoping that I'd recognize the faces and the names, but I forgot I was only going to get to see happier faces. Now I've got to figure out, okay, now let's fill in the gaps, you know, underneath those masks and try to figure it out. But it does help that I see some of you are still sitting in the same place. <laughs> 25 years later, so that does help me get oriented. I appreciate that. It's very thoughtful, and it's good to hear John Bowman's laughter in the back. Some things uh, are just as we left them, and uh, that's, a, that's a good sign. But um, it, it is good to see uh, some uh, familiar faces that I guess we could call old friends, and it might have a double meaning by now. But uh, 
don't worry, you haven't changed a bit. And I'm sure I haven't either, right? April and I, but also good to see some faces that aren't familiar because really we, we feel a connection with you too because we still feel part of the Westchester family. How blessed we were coming out of seminary to be able to serve here in such a healthy and supportive uh, church environment alongside Pastor Paul and Pastor Lee. Um, we, it was hard to leave uh, 25 years ago when we sensed God calling us to um, a brand new church uh, in rural northwest Iowa. But this church was so supportive of us all along the way, standing right beside us, and a great encouragement to us and to our new church family back then in uh, Alta, Iowa. So it's an honor for me to be here. We cherish the relationships, we treasure the memories here, and it's an honor for me to be able to open God's word with you today as uh, you begin a year celebrating half a century of ministry at 4919 Aurora Avenue. Some of you maybe were even part, like Pam, maybe you've been here even since the day that this facility was dedicated. And um, I, I, I was nine years old back in 1971. Many of you I know weren't even born yet. Uh, the Cubs finished 14 games out of first place that year, so it was just a normal year in many ways. But there were some significant new beginnings in uh, 1971. For example, uh, that was the year of the first broadcast of national public radio. It was the, the forming of legendary rock bands like Eagles and Queen. And um, 1971, Walt Disney Resort opened in Orlando. And the first Starbucks opened in Seattle. And in that same year, then, God was doing a new work here in Des Moines in the hearts of some of his people. Uh, moving them from Highland Park out to the northwestern frontier of this city. And so uh, it's really good for us to pause like this and to reflect on the memories, to give thanks for what God has done, and to recommit ourselves to the same mission that motivated them. You know that as you read scripture, you realize that remembering is such an important part of Christian discipleship. And, um, and yet we tend to forget so easily Unfortunately, short memories can, uh, can, can hinder our spiritual progress. And so time and time again, God calls his people in his word. He calls us to remember what he has done and what he's brought us through. One example of that is found in Joshua chapter 4, where I invite you to turn with me this morning if you have a Bible or you find one on your device. But Joshua chapter 4 is the passage today. After 1,400 years... Um, 1,400 years, rather, before Christ, this is a, the setting of this chapter here where the people of Israel were actually acquiring their own land. God was fulfilling his promise to their ancestor, Abraham. God had miraculously opened up the Red Sea so that they could escape Egyptian bondage under the leadership of Moses. And then God had also miraculously stopped the Jordan River so they could enter the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 4, stones of remembrance were gathered from the Jordan River to commemorate that event and to ensure that God's people would never forget. So from this inspired text, I'd like us as we work through it together to notice six lessons to learn from these stones of remembrance. First of all, we're all in this together. That's a message of unity. We're all in this together. And that's, that's a phrase that's kind of well-worn, I think, over the, these 
days of COVID, but really it captures the first lesson that God wanted his people to grasp as they entered their own land. Verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So a memorial was to be erected on the west bank of that river at their first campsite, and every tribe will be included in uh, equal terms. I mean, whenever people would look at that pile of 12 stones, every Israelite would identify with it. It wasn't just the priestly tribe or the, the largest tribe or the tribe that was out in front, but all 12 tribes are represented. Every man, woman, and child would feel included. And so in crossing over, after all, they all experienced you know, the same challenge. They all experienced the same miracle. They all had the same sense of awe and uh, anxiety, maybe, the same kind of excitement. They all went through that together. And uh, as they looked to the future, they were all going to be a part of now uh, uh, taking this land that God had provided for them. But whenever they saw those stones, it was to be a reminder to them we're all part of this. We're all in this together. And I think it's a reminder to us that the Christian life was never intended to be lived alone. We, we need each other. We belong together. And that is a lesson I think that we've learned, especially here in these, this past year of isolation and of past year of splintering in many ways. And I think now, thankfully, as more and more people are starting to feel comfortable regathering in public worship, this is a time for us to really welcome one another, to be intentional at welcoming one another as we're back, but also of looking out for those who aren't yet back, of being mindful of those who maybe are, are feeling disconnected, you know, from the church after all these months. And it's important for us, I think, not only that we wait on one another, during these days, but that we make intentional efforts to move toward one another in love. And so I, I really like your web address, westchestercares.org. And then your motto, experiencing God's love, extending God's love, because there are no unimportant members of the body of Christ, no unimportant members of, of God's family. Truly, we are, we're all in this together, Amen. Well, second, as the people of Israel entered the land that they would call home, they were to remind one another, our God dwells among us. That's a message of assurance. Our God dwells among us. Verses 4 through 7. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulders, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so now, 
you'll notice as we read that from now on, the Ark of the Covenant is going to have a very prominent place in this narrative. You know, uh, back then, this was the most important piece of furniture on the earth, the, the Ark of the Covenant. It was really just a small, relatively small wooden box. It was overlaid with gold, and some special items were included inside of it, including the Ten Commandments. But that Ark truly was holy because it represented the presence of God among his people. And so when future generations would ask about that pile of rocks along the Jordan River, it was important for them to be told that God was present among his people in the midst of what was a very challenging situation. God was there to guide them and to deliver them. The God of Israel, you see, was not some distant or weak or remote deity like the gods of the nations that surrounded them. But before the Ark of the Covenant, as it says, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. I mean, this is the raw power of Yahweh, the Lord, caused a raging river to pile up in a heap some 20 miles upstream so that a nation of 2 million people could cross over on dry ground in a short period of time. And so whenever you look at those stones, Joshua is saying, remember God. Remember his might, his faithfulness. Remember how he fulfilled his promises. See, it was more than a, a monument to a great event. It was a testimony to the God who stood behind that event. Joshua wants his people to reflect on the awesome character of God and his mighty deeds. And so as we remember, as it's been said, 50 years of ministry here, we're not here to, to celebrate a building, even though I'm sure we all have fond memories within this building but this is a time to reflect on how we've seen God at work in this place and how we've grown in our knowledge of God through the ministry of this church. Because, you know, we trust the same God. We serve the same God that Joshua served. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Our God. He dwells among us. He's near. He's not distant. He's engaged. He's involved. He's not negligent or unengaged. He is faithful. He is powerful. He is loving. And he dwells among us. Praise God. Praise God. So third, we do as the Lord commands. And this is the lesson of obedience. We do as the Lord commands. Verses 8 through 10. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people passed over in haste. And so there was detailed compliance with everything that was said to these people. They did just as Joshua commanded, which was just as the Lord told Joshua. From start to finish, Everything worked out smoothly because there was full cooperation. And that pile of stones then would remind them in generations to come how blessed they were 
when they obeyed God's word as it was delivered to them through God's servants. And praise God, I agree, how blessed this church is that it has had faithful servants over the course not only of 50 years, but since 1883, it was, who have... um, Faithfully, the pulpits have changed, right? But have faithfully stood behind the pulpit to deliver God's word. And what a privilege it is for us that God still speaks to us today through the 66 inspired books of the Old and New Testaments. And uh, as we make daily decisions, we're not following the Ark of the Covenant, but we truly are following God's word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And since all scripture is inspired by God. We, we submit to it, don't we? We submit to whatever it teaches. And as it re, we, we allow it to reprove us and to correct us and to train us in righteousness. There will always be competing voices in the culture telling us that this book is out of date and it's no longer relevant. But let's not turn away from it just so that we can be accepted by a world that is perishing. But instead, we believe what this book teaches. We trust everything that it promises. And we obey all that it commands. So as this command is given to cross over the Jordan, we're we're told there at the end of verse 10 that the the people passed over in haste. There, There were no interruptions. There were no objections. If only you and I were that quick. If only you and I were that decisive to respond to every word of the Lord. The psalmist said, I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. Psalm 119, verse 60. What do these stones mean? Fourth, that they speak of redemption. That God removed our sin and shame. That's what these stones meant, that God removes sin and shame. In verse 11, as you glance there at the text, you'll see at verse 11 and following that the whole nation is crossing over, including the two and a half tribes that would eventually settle east of the Jordan. In verse 14, we're told how God uses this miracle to affirm the new leader that everyone is now going to, after this, they're going to respect Joshua, just like they respected Moses. And I think it's a significant reminder to us that as God's plan unfolds throughout the years, there are always transitions in leadership among God's people. And no two leaders are identical, but yet we keep our eyes on Christ and we trust his plan and we keep moving forward. Verse 18, And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. So the specific date of this great miracle is recorded so that there could be an annual remembrance. Just like we're here on the 28th day of February, remembering the 27th day of February so long ago. Just as Memorial Day in our nation, it always comes on the last Monday of May. 
And so the people of Israel could mark their calendars on the 10th day of the first month. Now, why is that noteworthy? Well, it's because that date already meant something to them. Back in Exodus chapter 12, we were told that it was on the 10th day of the first month that the families of Israel gathered a lamb for their Passover meal. And so you see their entrance now into the land. It's in their minds, it's always going to be connected with their exodus from Egypt when God redeemed them from slavery. The 10th day of the first month, that was the beginning of their redemption. And now that date, four decades later, it marks its completion. And they've come a long ways. And they're, they're, they're going to be mindful of how far they have come from their days of slavery in Egypt now to being heirs of the promised land. And they will look at that stone monument and remember that, at this monument which was constructed, by the way, in what city? Did you catch it? What city was this? Verse 19, the memorial was erected there at Gilgal. Gilgal. That, uh, that name actually is derived from the Hebrew word which means to roll. And so perhaps the name Gilgal was a reminder to them that God had rolled away the shame of their Egyptian slavery and of their wilderness wanderings. And it's a good reminder for us, too, that in Christ, God has rolled away our shame by redeeming us from our sin. Because not only are we all sinners, we are all sin-ease. That is, we've been sinned against. And that's why we live in a world that's full of shame. I mean, when people are sinned against, they not only become angry, but they're defiled. In a sense, they're contaminated now by the sins of other people. But praise God, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings not only forgiveness for sins committed, but cleansing from sins suffered. And we too have been redeemed, you see, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who is our Passover lamb. He has removed our sin. He's removed our shame and clothed us in his own righteousness. Praise God. So what do these stones mean? Well, fifth, they compel us toward discipleship as we tell the next generation. That's the emphasis in verses 20 through 22. We tell the next generation. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Now that same idea was mentioned, you probably noticed, back in verse 6. Joshua is reminding the people of the importance of taking advantage of those teachable moments that were going to happen in the lives of a family. Inevitable, teachable moments when your kids are asking questions. Be sure that you take advantage of those opportunities to tell stories. Tell the stories of God's faithfulness. And so the greatest enemy of faith, you know, it may be forgetfulness. And we forget the stories and we... we fail to remember what God has done. That's why throughout Scripture, God gives visual aids like this, like this rock pile, 
God gives visual aids to help his people remember. And in the church, of course, this pattern of remembering, it's carried out in our observance of the Lord's table. And so when we have communion together, we give thanks for the Lord's mighty works. And so even as our children whisper in our ear, what what does this mean? What is that cup for? Can I have one of those? Why are you doing this? Well, these are teachable moments for us to explain to them what we believe and why. And not simply then to tell our kids what God expects of them, but what God has done for them. You see, Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We will not hide these things from our children, but will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The reason that we obey the Lord is because he has redeemed us. The next generation really doesn't need a list of rules from us as much as they need the gospel, right? They don't need good advice. They they need good news. And so tell your children, tell your grandchildren. Volunteer in children's ministry. Volunteer to mentor a student, high school or college student. How are you investing? How are you you investing your life in the next generation? You know, sadly, after Joshua and his generation died, Scripture says in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That was just the next generation. What a tragic, what a sad verse. God was forgotten. Just one generation after this happened, do you realize that the Christian faith is always just one generation away from extinction in our families, in our church, in our nation? We live in a land now that intentionally removes all reminders of its Christian heritage. Our society wants to take away the stones that commemorate that which God has done, but God is calling us to bring the stones and to keep keep them as a permanent reminder of his work. Keep those reminders in your home. Plaques and photos, maybe craft projects that remind you and that remind you and your family of what, of what God has done for his people and what he's done for you and your family. We're all in this together. Our God dwells among us, and we do as the Lord commands, for God removed our sin and shame, and so we tell the next generation, and sixth, we bear witness to God's power. This is the calling of evangelism. We bear witness to God's power. Verses 23 and 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so you see the memorial was constructed to get people talking, actually, uh, talking to their neighbors. And so this was a testimony also to the nations. God wanted the whole world to know that all power 
was in his hands. I mean, the Canaanites should know that. They should know that if they oppose the true God in the months to come now, as God is giving this land to his people, if the Canaanites oppose the one true living God or they defy him, they're setting themselves on a collision course with the almighty Lord of heaven and earth. It will not go well for them. And yet, forgiveness and eternal life is available to them and to anyone who will receive it by faith with repentance because the Lord our God is not only mighty, he's mighty to save. Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. People like Rahab, right? People like Rahab who will be delivered from the the destruction that will soon fall upon the city of Jericho. People like you and me who were once considered outsiders, Gentiles, non-Jews, people who the the scripture describes as uh, formerly being strangers to the covenants of God, without God, without hope in this world, but now having been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And so it was never God's plan, we know, for only the nation of Israel to be saved. God had told Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through his seed. And they were supposed to be a light to the nations, even though they failed miserably in that calling. But that calling continues. And so now Jesus says to us that we are to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. And so as we look back on 50 years of fruitful ministry here on this land, we, we look forward to more fruitfulness, not less, much greater fruitfulness in the years to come. Because the worst thing that could happen, I think, to any church is to slip into maintenance mode. You know, we're, we're content with previous victories and we live in the past with no vision for the future. Um, May we be faithful. I know for myself, serving in a church for 25 years, this is something that God continually speaks to me about. It's not, it's not sufficient to celebrate past victories, but it's time to seize new opportunities that surround us today. We live in a, in a day where the gospel is as relevant and as needed as ever. In this ever-changing world, we have a never-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the world needs. And so... We are surrounded by lost people who need to know that God loves them, that God sent his son, that they could be saved, that they could find meaning and purpose in their lives through knowing him. God has called us to bear witness, near and far, that is, to our our neighbors and to the nations so that they might be transformed by the mighty power of the gospel, the life-changing power of the gospel. So may his name be exalted. May his kingdom be expanded through the ministry of this church until he returns. And we are finally at home with the Lord and with all of his people in our promised land. Amen. Let's bow together, shall we? Father, thank you for the power of your word, for the triumphs of your grace in our lives and in the history of this church. Help us never forget, Lord, who you are, what you have done for us in Christ. We pray that you would guide us, grant us faith, 
in unity as we seek to do your will together. May your hand be upon this congregation, I pray, as they fulfill your calling for the glory of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.